Andrew Marr hosted an edition of Start the Week where he looked at the state of the Christian religion. Today he studies Pentecostalism with the help of L. Hardy, who has written a book about Pentecostalism called Beyond Belief. We're going to start with the journalist L. Hardy and what she believes is one of the great underreported revolutions of modern time how Pentecostal Christianity is taking over the world. L, your book, Beyond Belief, tells an astonishing story. But let's start with the very basics. What is Pentecostalism? Sure. Well, Pentecostalism comes from the day of Pentecost, which is 50 days after Jesus was resurrected. And it's it's foretold in the Bible that he promised that the Holy Spirit would descend on the apostles and give them what is called the nine gifts of the spirit. So it's um, miracles, healing, prophecy, and most notably speaking in tongues, which many Christians uh, consider the formation of the, the Christian church because it gave them the ability to go out to foreign lands and speak in what they thought would be uh, the, the languages of these foreign lands and convert them to Christianity. So Pentecostalists believe that, in a sense, they are returning to the original experience of the apostles. Yes, very much so. It's the ultimate go-back-to-the-beginnings church. It is, but it's it's very, very modern, um, and, and that's part of the, the appeal of Pentecostalism. They've mm. always been very good at telling two stories at once. In your book, you talk about the origins of modern Pentecostalism, the beginnings of the 20th century in the United States, with revival meetings and particularly charismatic and challenged, in many ways, um, preachers. But it's spread very fast around the world. And I just wonder, for instance, in London, in Britain generally, there are lots of Pentecostalist churches. Indeed, you say 17,000, which is apparently one for every two pubs. That's a lot of churches. If you don't know this faith and you go into a Pentecostalist church for a service, what will you find? Well, you'll certainly find that it's it's very multicultural. Uh, I'd say that... Uh, Almost any Pentecostal church you walked into in the United Kingdom would be a majority minority. So it would be people from uh, from West African descent, from the Caribbean, uh, from Korea, Brazil, all sorts of places. It will also probably be very young as well. So Hillsong's uh, largest church, which is a this big is Australian, the Australian yes, the big Australian mega church. Um, they say that about seventy uh, percent of their congregation is under twenty five, and and having been there myself, I, I would almost say it's higher. So it's um, it's young multicultural people in a big city. Um, very fervent. Very fervent, but also. Um, looking to be inspired. They want to feel good as well as feel God, and that's very important. So it's a very musical experience. It's it's something you go to on Sunday night with your friends. You you go there and, and you have your your commune with religion and then you go out to dinner afterwards. Um and and you it's raucous, it's it's celebratory. Mm. You're enjoying the music. Um and and it, uh, the the faith speaks to mostly in in the UK. If, if there were, if I could say the archetypal Pentecostal in the UK, it would be a Premier League footballer <laughs> coming from Brazil, yeah. winding up in this huge strange city, feeling really alienated. So in many respects, it's it's, it's a faith certainly in Britain for for migrants, people who've come here and are looking around, looking for a home, looking to feel 
uh, warm in a sense. Very much so. And it's it's very often a place that people can sort of practice their traditional culture and feel part of their traditional community. So as well with the, the gypsy and traveller community that I met, they're, they're rapidly converting and it's sort of a, a place where they can still be gypsy, they can still practice their traditional values and also still live in modern Britain. Outside the hierarchies. One of the points you make in the book is that this is, as it were, a shape-shifting faith. So it's very, very different in South Africa, where you visited Pentecostal churches, indeed, across Africa, as compared with the United States. Let's talk about Africa first, because that gives you a very, very strong sense of how different it is. You come across people who uh, come from a tradition of traditional tribal faith healers and yet are also Pentecostalists. Yes. One of the great things about Pentecostalism is that it's very decentralised and it's always given licence for for people to, to look and sound like the local culture. And that's very important for people who are converting and practising. So, uh, for example, if it's in um, Africa or Latin America, traditionally your your bishop or priest might have been educated in Europe and flown in. Your local mm. Pentecostal preacher will have grown up in the same area as you. They'll speak the same language. They'll know the same the same people. They'll have grown up on the same streets. And that's very important And because they also understand things like a culturally a very spiritual conception of the world um, that, that is that is very tribal and traditional in some places. And that's where you get into things like, like faith healing, which has always been a part of the culture, and Pentecostalism allows and encourages that. the Dave Brubeck Quartet with Take 5. We now return to Andrew Marr and Al Hardy talking about Pentecostalism. We talked earlier on about speaking in tongues. You'll find that in Pentecostalist services and indeed in one of the churches you talk about in the United States in your book, snake handling as well. 
Yes. I mean, it's traditionally the hallmark of the faith, although fewer and fewer people, uh, it's believed, are necessarily speaking in tongues. But a lot of people still enjoy that For people who don't understand speaking in tongues, (laughs) speaking in tongues is a kind of outpouring of something that sounds like language but isn't language. Yes. Traditionally, people believe that they've been filled with the Holy Spirit and they're given a particular language. It it used to be thought of as conversion. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of early missionaries went off to strange lands and discovered that they didn't actually speak the language. So so a lot of Pentecostals would say it's it's their private language with God mm. and and traditional prayer you're speaking to God. This is God speaking through you and a lot of people find that very powerful and very empowering. And you handle snakes because they're associated with the devil, the serpent, and if they bite you and you've got enough faith you'll survive. That's correct. It, it isn't a very common practice. It is uh, quite exclusive to the Appalachian region, but they, uh, to them it's very powerful and, and they do get very upset if people call an ambulance. Since we're, t- since we're talking about the United States in particular, where Pentecostalism is very, very strong, let's talk about Pentecostalism and money and Pentecostalism and politics, because one of the striking statistics in your book is that 53 percent of American Pentecostalists believe that Donald Trump and President Trump had been anointed by God. That's right. Um, And the Pentecostals, almost double the number of traditional evangelicals, were um, uh, Trump's, believed in Trump earliest and and were really on the Trump train. And and they, they got him and a lot of people sort of speak to the, they say, oh, it's, it's quite hypocritical, you know, a, a man who is very known for being divorced and having many affairs and things like that. But the Pentecostals kind of got quite quickly that um, part of the appeal of him was that he wasn't restrained by their morality, that he was able to do their bidding. And so things like um, moving the embassy to Jerusalem, was, which is very, very important to Pentecostals, that, that he would go ahead and do mm. something like that because he was always very... Um, very unrestrained in, in his political behaviour. And Pentecostalism has a very interesting, slightly strange relationship with Judaism, doesn't it? Yes, there, there, is, there is a real fascination um, with, uh, in, in the Pentecostal faith with, with the Jewish people, and obviously that, that leads to their conception of the end times. Um, and there certainly is a, a branch of what they would say is Judaism. The, the Jewish uh, hierarchy doesn't, doesn't believe that that it follows um, that, that it's part of their faith, but Messianic Judaism, which is effectively a, a syncretic form of, of Pentecostalism, and and it turns out that uh, that they are doing some infiltrating of, of Jewish synagogues and, and trying to secretly convert people. Um, and it's it is a shape shifting faith, as I said. Um, there's a, indeed a charismatic Islam, which has learned quite a lot from Pentecostalism, partly to try to keep the Christians at bay, as it were, isn't it? Very much so. So this is taking place mostly in in Lagos, which is the largest city in Nigeria, uh, where traditionally a lot of the Yoruba people have might have had one a Christian father and a Muslim mother, um, and they sort of found out that you know a lot of the the young kids are, might be you know going between both faiths and um, and the appeal of Pentecostalism, the health and the wealth and the feel good factor of it all, uh, is slowly seeing people not go back to mosques so much on Fridays. So so there is one particular sect there that has started embracing um, Pentecostal practices in, in their Islamic faith mm. and and running services on Sundays as well, just to try and get people to, to, to keep going back to, to their mosque. Before we leave the United States, uh, 
the seven mountains mandate is really important in modern Pentecostalism. I hadn't heard about it. Just tell us about that. Yeah, so it, so it's a doctrine that, that is uh, very popular with particularly right-wing conservative American Christians. So they believe that they need to conquer the seven mountains or spheres of influence in modern life. So business, media, education, um, military, government... Family. Family, yes. And they believe that, it, that it's incumbent on people to, to get to the top of that, those mountains in any way possible. So it's, it's really the theological wing of the, the sort of new right that we're seeing that's come out of it's Trumpism. It's a sort of Christian takeover. It's very important. Yeah. And that's part of the end times because Pentecostalists believe that we're living at the last phase of human history. Yes. And, and they, it's a Christian nationalist movement and they certainly see that They've probably lost the um, demographic battle in in the US. So now it's about uh, taking control by any means necessary. Uh, so it's why we're seeing at the moment a lot of uh, parents getting very active in school boards. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people who were involved in the, the January 6th storming of the Capitol in America were influenced by this doctrine. And it's a very um, something that's is easily to get online. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people came to it by Facebook and things like that in the pandemic. Yeah. So I think it's it's going to be very important. Alan Sorensen is Church of Scotland Minister in Greenock. Alan has given us permission to broadcast some of his short God spots, and today he says, be yourself. So who are your heroes? Come on, tell me, who do you admire? Who do you try to copy? When you're young, you usually end up copying film stars or pop stars, and fortunately, we usually grow out of it, with the possible exception of several Elvis fans. I mean, how many Ziggy Stardusts or even Kylies do you see of an evening? And the reason why they get copied so much is because they're original. So if you want to be the next Spice Girls and have lots of clones, then you just have to come up with something original. Now, don't despair. It's actually dead easy. Be yourself. There's nobody in the world like you. You're absolutely original. That's why God sent Jesus for you and not for someone else. Because he made you absolutely unique. Just like everybody else. <laughs> Singular blessings to you. Jeremy Irons has recorded the Psalms from the authorised version of the Bible. Today we hear Jeremy reading Psalm 100. It's followed by Ensemble Echelon playing an overture by J.B. Bach. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations.
change and his mercies never cease but follow us through all our days with the certain has produced a series of talks where he imagines himself to be a Bible character. Today he continues with the story of God's choice of Moses as leader of the people of Israel with the story of the parting of the Red Sea. Walls are everywhere when you think of it. In Egypt we were enslaved to build the walls of palaces and tombs to the glory of pharaohs who considered themselves gods. And for the first time in hundreds of years, there isn't a wall in sight. I, Moses, have got to lead these people out of the land of walls and into the promised land. God told me that Pharaoh would have a change of heart and realize that his kingdom was built on our slave labor. And then he would muster his armies and try to force us to return to the work sites. Well, it didn't take long for it to come to pass. As we were traveling... The Lord placed a pillar of cloud during the day so that the Egyptians couldn't see us, and a pillar of fire in the evening so that we could see, but they couldn't approach us because of the heat. The Lord instructed us to make camp between Migdon and the sea. To me, that didn't seem very wise because once we had our backs to the sea, it would be easier for the Egyptian army to surround us because they'd only have to do half the work for encirclement. However, 
God doesn't think like a man, and when he says to do something a certain way, it's best to just do it. He said that he'd harden Pharaoh's heart so that he would be honored through Pharaoh and his army, and they would know that he was the one true God. So there we were with our backs to the sea, and the Egyptian armies began their march toward us in tight military formation. All our people were terrified, crying out to me, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the words that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Well, God gave me the reply, Do not fear Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Then the Lord asked me why I was crying out to him and to tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Then he told me to take my staff and stretch out my hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel would go through the midst of the sea on dry land. God said he was going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they'd go after us. He would then be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and that the Egyptians would know that he is the Lord. Whilst God's angel put the cloud between us and the army, I stretched out my hand and staff over the sea as he told me to do. Suddenly a powerful, shrieking wind arose from the east, plowing a path between the waters and exposing dry land that was once submerged. It was time for us to cross over to the other side. All our people walked on dry land through the sea, piled up on either side of us. How can I begin to describe such a sight? It was as if the waves were continuing to roar at the summit of the walls of water, but not coming down over to break over us. The walls were opaque and we could see the fish, and even sometimes very large ones like whales, swimming back and forth then disappearing as others took their place. They seemed as confused as we were, knowing where the limits of the sea should have been, but weren't. When we reached the other side, we could see the Egyptian chariots and horsemen in pursuit through the parted sea. Suddenly, the Lord allowed the army of Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and put them into confusion. Their chariots were swerving as if drunk, and the horses were unruly and frantic like they'd seen something the others couldn't, smashing into each other and getting stuck in unstable ground. We heard the soldiers crying out, Let us flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to me, Stretch out your hand over the sea so the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots and their horsemen. When I did, the walls of water collided with each other with a deafening sound, like great blocks of rock smashing together, and then the waters collapsed over the entire army. We could see the overturned chariots, horses, soldiers being churned and tossed about in the foaming water like a child's toys. For a time that seemed rather long, there was an awed, dead silence amongst us. Hours prior, we'd reckoned ourselves as good as dead, and now here we were, safe and sound, on the other side of the sea, watching as the bodies and war machines washed up on either shore. A song burst into my heart, praising my God for his awesome power and thanking him for sparing us 
as the entire Hebrew nation joined me with ecstatic raised voices. Because of God, we were safe and alive. Walls of tombs and palaces, walls of fire and clouds, walls of the sea heaped on either side, and walls of chariots and soldiers, all gone now. As we stand on the brink of a new day, it's the first time we haven't seen walls since the living memory of any of us. What can I say to this? That my God is very, very good and very, very powerful. I hope the Egyptians have finally understood this.